0: And now, from the University of Chicago Institute of Politics and CNN, The Axe Files, with your host, David Axelrod.
1: It's fair to say that uh, very few third-party candidates have gotten uh, as much discussion, particularly among young people for president of the United States than Gary Johnson, the former governor of New Mexico, now running on the libertarian Line. He came by the Institute of Politics at the University of Chicago the other day uh, to uh, meet with students, and we had a chance to sit down afterwards and talk about his career and his campaign for president. Gary Johnson, welcome and welcome to the Institute of Politics. Yeah, thank you. Appreciate thank you, you. Uh, coming by to speak to uh, to speak to our university community today. Um, Tell me, uh, you. I just want to. I want to get into the issues of the day, but I want to get a kind of richer sense of who you are. Um, you, you grew up partly in North Dakota.
0: Yep, yep. Moved to North Dakota, South Dakota. Moved to New Mexico when I was thirteen. My mother got transferred there with the Bureau of Indian Affairs, and really then. You know, New Mexico, great move. My, my dad went to New Mexico as a Boy Scout and was kind of always trying to angle his way
1: back. So. I see. What, your mom worked for the Bureau of Indian Affairs. What did she do? She was an
0: accountant, uh, and uh, they consolidated all of the uh, six regional offices in the United States uh, in Albuquerque. So that's how we got
1: there. Did you guys have—was was politics talked about in your house? None, zero. My
0: parents were not political at all, zero. Uh, did, were they partisan? No, absolutely not. They were registered, always been registered, had always been registered Democrats, but n- never in a partisan way at all.
1: And uh, did did you come across any political figures when you were growing up, either in the Dakotas or in New Mexico? You know, I always followed small politics. states, so they're all. Oh well,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. Just always held politicians on a pedestal, looking up to them. You know, wow, these are people that get elected and they're in positions to, you know, do good. I always I believe that. I've always believed politics was a high calling, you know, being in a position to do good by others. David, you know this as well as anybody. I could get I could get people lined up for city blocks to tell you that I'm the scourge of the earth and that I'm not that I don't have anything to do with doing good, but that was the that was the intention. It remains the intention.
1: Did you um, so in those early as a as a kid? You say you had that view. Did you think of yourself as maybe one day going into public service, going into I politics? I did.
0: I did. I always I always thought that I that was something that I wanted to do. I came to an early uh, epiphany that um, I, I got my uh, degree in political science, mm-hmm. and uh, getting that degree, uh came to recognize that the number one component of getting elected is money. And I also came to this uh, epiphany that, you know what, I, I don't want to go out and raise money because, boy, that's going to involve compromises or compromising myself. Somehow I was going to put myself up for sale. Uh, so I thought, well, I'll just wait until I can afford it myself. and that's what, And that's what I did. I basically paid for my uh, primary run, running for governor in New Mexico with my own
1: money. Right. Um, you uh, you started you you had a little handyman business that became a big construction. Yeah,
0: business. I started a one man handyman business in 1974, and actually grew that business to employ over a thousand people. Uh, electrical, mechanical, plumbing, pipe fitting—about as high tech as it gets. Uh, American dream come true. Um, amazing what happens when you show up on time and you just do what you say you're going to do for people what share you, share in the profits that would you learn
1: would you l- learn from that experience
0: well a couple of takeaways uh, big takeaways the just the simple notion of showing up on time keeping your word uh sharing in the profits man that is a magic formula for growing the pie and then hiring how, fr- how did you do that uh, that we had that we had profit sharing uh, that I put it out there uh, from a formula standpoint that uh, look i 'm all about uh, entrepreneurs i 'm all about promoting you and what it is that you want to do as an employee of my company if you have an idea um, why don 't I bankroll it? Um, you will get a third of the profits, and i 'll get two thirds of the profits so you don 't have to leave the company to be an entrepreneur so you know that was growing the profits, uh, sharing in the profits for everybody. So profit sharing for everybody, uh, healthcare and benefits and all of that. Healthcare benefits, all that. Now, of course, we grew into all that. If if that would have been a requirement from the very get go, I, I know that I would have never been able to grow the business as I did because it would have been completely prohibitive uh, to 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 have started off that way.
1: So you you uh, you. Uh, 20 years ago, you ran for governor of New Mexico. It's been 20, yeah, 22 years. 22 years, so 1994. Yeah, Yeah, well, and uh, actually announced in 93, so Uh oh my gosh. And um, as you say, you funded your own campaign, um, and you waited to fund your own campaign until you could do that. Yeah, yeah. What does it say about our democracy that one has to— either raise a lot of money or or have a lot of money
0: well one of the uh... you know people talk about um, you know limiting campaign contribution or that there should be public funding for campaigns i think that when you limit funding when you allow for public financing of campaigns that you're really um, uh, advantaging uh, incumbents you're advantaging those that have a name as opposed to somebody that's completely outside of politics. So in my case, you, know, you, you don't stand a chance with limited campaign contribution. Uh, I think that there should be 100% transparency when it comes to campaign contribution, something that doesn't exist today. But limiting campaign contribution, like I say, you, if you've got a name, um, you know, you're, you're going to be at a big advantage if you are the incumbent you're going to be at a big advantage to anybody else that's running for that office. But
1: doesn't it also give an awful lot of power to people who can write enormous uh, checks to influence public policy?
0: Well, haven't you found this – this has been my experience. Is whenever, I, whenever I see somebody with a lot of money sign up to run for political office, like a Donald Trump, for example – But we Um, don't
1: really know how much money he has. But we really don't, right? Right.
0: But growing up, you know, you'd see community leaders that would uh, be running for office, and you knew that they had money and that they were spending money. And the campaign was just a disaster. So I think you can have all the money in the world and if you're a disaster as a candidate that you just don't survive.
1: So you just don't think that money matters that much.
0: It it's the it's the main ingredient, but if you're if you don't have it as a if if you've got it as if you if you are a together candidate if you're a genuine candidate and you have money both you know that's that's success in when quality. you were governor
1: you you said you financed your primary so in the general you you raised money
0: yeah but it was really just going to the mailbox and picking up checks I mean that came along with being the nominee there was just an automatic I never asked for funds I never solicited campaign contribution. Um, and I think because I paid for my own primary, I think that uh, it was viewed as, well, gee, there's no quid pro quo here. It's uh, it's contributing to good government. At least that's the way I viewed it.
1: So if you were president, you would you would advocate fewer and not more restrictions on campaign finances.
0: I would advocate other than other than disclosure. Yeah, complete
1: disclosure. So no yeah. limits on contributions, but full disclosure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So tell me about your governorship and the things that you are most uh, proud of there.
0: Well, the thing I was most proud of is uh, I I campaigned on the notion of, uh, look, I'm just going to bring a common-sense business approach to state government. I've never been involved in politics before, so my pledge to you all as voters is is that— I will put the issues that should be on the front burner, on the front burner, regardless of the political consequence. Because there is no political consequence. I'm not a politician. I haven't been. And so my, my what I'm most proud of is that we did that. We really took it on. We took the whole thing on. We were not wallflowers. You name it, the hardest, the, the biggest issues facing the state were always put on the front burner.
1: You... Um, uh you, uh, one of the things that you, it, crime was a huge issue in 1994, uh, and one of the things that you, uh, I, I, you must have run on it, but you also passed a three strikes and you're out bill in I never uh, New signed, Mexico. I never
0: signed three strikes, you're out, and if, um, I'm sure I didn't do that.
1: Did you uh, sign any kind of determinant sentencing bill? What was your you were you were seen at least in what I, I read I, as an anti
0: crime yeah, no, no, candidate? No, um, well, it never got through the legislature. The Democrats controlled—at I, I, that time, I would have signed that kind of legislation. Uh, you know, we, we, do, uh, we do evolve, and I have come to recognize that I, I wish I would not have supported that. Why? I, well, let me use the death penalty as an example. Uh, I was a supporter of the death penalty until I came to realize that uh, the government makes mistakes on the death penalty. Um, it it may be that there's a four percent error rate when it comes to the death penalty. Well, David, uh, naively, I just I didn't think the government really made mistakes. Well, when I came to recognize that, I reversed myself in office and um, and supported repeal of the death penalty.
1: Did you apply the death penalty at all when you were there? I did. There was one
0: case uh, that came up, and uh, as a result of that one case that came up, uh, where a person was put to death, he, he uh, admitted to the crime, had long admitted to the crime. Uh, he wanted to be put to death. Um, I let that occur. But in in that happening, it was wave after wave after wave of those opposed to the death penalty, and I met with those groups and It was in that whole process that I came to recognize um, the error rate that does exist
1: the um, you say you would you would not now advocate the three strikes uh, no would, i i think do you, do you think that 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 there is a discriminatory bias yes. in the in the criminal justice system
0: yes and i and I came to that uh, 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 advocating for the legalization of marijuana in one thousand nine hundred and ninety nine i really didn 't know um, i, I didn 't know what that was going to entail i really didn 't and I really went into that with an open mind this wasn 't a predisposition to say hey let 's legalize marijuana, but when I uh, got into uh, the drug war, uh, there was this immediate recognition that if you 're of color um, you know, there's a much more likelihood that you will end up behind bars than if not. So what I came to recognize was that this three-strikes-you're-out legislation, mandatory sentencing legislation, disparagingly, uh, that's not the right word, but it it just overwhelmingly these crimes were drug-related crime, arguably victimless, non-violent crime, uh, possession sale. The, The Main category of prisoner today in federal prison is the is the person who has sold small amounts of drugs on numerous occasions uh, and uh, been caught
1: president 's been commuting uh, bravo these sentences. bravo did you do that as governor
0: I did. I put it out there that um, that I would commute anyone 's sentence that was in uh, state prison victimless nonviolent drug crime. It was at that point that I came to recognize. That, that category of prisoner is in federal prison, uh, not state prison, state prison. you know what? There were other crimes committed um, gun crimes, uh, violent crime, um, yeah, drugs were at the heart of it, but uh, it wasn't just uh, possession only. Uh, I did have a couple of high profile um, taking people out of jail and uh, because i I said, look show me show me the victimless nonviolent Drug offender behind bars, and I'll I'll take him out of prison.
1: On this issue of legalization of marijuana, obviously we're on a campus. You got a big, uh, you got a big rousing ovation when you talked about that. Uh, what what brought you to that issue? And I mean, I just want to get out on the table because it always comes up. What's your own experience with? With, with uh, marijuana?
0: Well, I, I have used marijuana. I have used marijuana throughout my life on various occasions. Uh, but um, I came to it from—and uh, I never used marijuana as governor of New Mexico. Uh, because just, it was illegal? Well, no, just uh, uh, health and wellness is my whole thing in life. I haven't had a drink of alcohol in uh, almost 30 years, uh, but I you said
1: you've been using marijuana throughout your
0: life. so Right. Well, so, you know, first time I used marijuana, 17, I used marijuana through college, mm-hmm. used it off and on, then went on a long period of time where I never used it at all. And uh, after having been governor and I suffered a really bad accident, um, I started using it again. As and- a
1: pain Reliever,
0: Well, yeah, as a pain reliever, as a way to deal with literally being on my back for two weeks without moving. I, I, I had a burst fracture of my 12th T vertebrae in my back, and I was prescribed that I was to be on the floor, on a hard floor, for three straight weeks. Yeah, so that, so, now, last question, well, so, can but, you but, see
1: yourself in the White House uh, smoking a joint?
0: No, no. And actually, I said that I would not do that. Mm-hmm. I, I think that, um, first of all, I've always been an advocate, to, you know, that you shouldn't be on the job impaired. and
1: um, It's it l- presidents on the job all the time.
0: Presidents on the job all the time and running for president um, is a 24-7 job also. So um 5 months ago somebody asked me well when was the last time you used it well I, it's the truth I've been really well served by the truth so 5 months ago that answer was well 2 days ago I I consumed well that was 5 months ago and I made a pledge look this is a this is a full time job and uh, it wasn't
1: before that Aleppo thing right
0: uh, right. <laughs> that would have been a
1: handy a- explanation for the <laughs> well, whole thing. That
0: would have been a, that would have been a disqualifier, <laughs> I think, in a big way. But you you asked me what motivated me with regard to marijuana. It was the recognition that half of what the state was spending on law enforcement, the courts, and the prisons was drug related. And what were we getting for that? Well, and then it was starting off with uh, well, gee, I guess I better start off with. Uh, taking a look at Holland and the fact that they have just rampant, because they've essentially decriminalized all drug use, that they've got you know, horrible crime, they've got horrible addiction rates, and come to find out, I mean, this, you know, this didn't take but hours to recognize that that was all a lie. All of it was a lie. And then the recognition after about two weeks of studying it, and I I had some of the world's experts that came into New Mexico, you know, to help me out with the issue, but it was about a two-week process, and man, I had all the facts down, and it it was the wrong thing to be doing.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think there's a very respectable argument for the fact that we could transfer these resources to treatment. Uh, for people who need it. But here's a a question for you, because you're traveling the country. We have this epidemic now. There are all these horrendous stories uh, in places that really uh, you wouldn't expect them, you know, of these heroin overdoses that have grown out of uh, prescription drugs uh, being prescribed. You mentioned you were injured. People get injured. They get OxyContin. They get other drugs. And then they uh, become addicted to those drugs and turn to heroin as a substitute because it's cheaper on the street. What do we do about that?
0: Well, uh, first of all, uh, a, a, a multifaceted, um, marijuana does directly compete with these opioids. And uh, with regard to opioids, statistically, legal prescription opioids kill about 30,000 people a year. There's not been one documented death due to marijuana. So, gee, that's a... That's uh, a difficult one to assess pluses and minuses, but that said, you know, looking at ho- heroin overdose, I mean, uh, overdose is a function of quality, quantity, unknown. Uh, if you really, if communities are really concerned with reducing death, uh, disease, crime, and corruption, uh, you can look to cities like Vancouver, and you can look to cities like Zurich that th- that those things have actually happened. Chief of police from Zurich came to a, um, came to a uh, uh, world drug conference in Albuquerque in 2002. And he said, when they came out with this heroin maintenance program in Zurich, he said, I've been in law enforcement my entire life. All my friends, me, we could not have been more opposed to this heroin maintenance program. This uh, death, disease, crime, corruption was going to skyrocket. He said, I'm here. I'm here at this convention to say that all of those things got better in a big way. Death, disease, crime, corruption, plummeted. Through
1: legalization.
0: Well, essentially, no. They uh, adopted a heroin maintenance program where if you were—this is Zurich now. If you were a heroin addict, you could get free heroin. You get free heroin. You get clean needles. You get as many doses as you want. None of the doses would kill you. So the idea was okay: clean needles, no more HIV, no more hepatitis C, free. So no more crime, no more prostitution involved.
1: Who um, administered the program? The city of Zurich. So government administered the program. Government uh, administered. And the is program. it your suggestion that that should happen here? That government should I, administer a program like that?
0: Well, if if uh, if cities are concerned with overdose, uh, I mean, overdose, this is not.
1: Lo- this is not, of course limited to cities. This is, we see it all through rural America, is where it's been the most significant. So it would have to be a broader policy than just individual cities, wouldn't it?
0: Well, I I think that if individual cities and not one individual city in the United States has taken on a program, for example, I mean, if you really care, we have the most effective policies in the world for killing heroin addicts. We do. If you're really concerned about uh, heroin addicts um, uh, living, as governor of New Mexico, I signed legislation allowing for needle exchange, you know, uh, and HIV and hepatitis C dropped dramatically as a result of the needle exchange program. Because
1: now this problem is less about dirty needles and more about, as you say, the the nature of the heroin mixed with fentanyl and other killer drugs.
0: So if communities were really concerned about this and really wanted to prevent these kinds of deaths, cities could set up, and and David, this is not a federal program. I'm not advocating a federal program here whatsoever. But if Chicago were to set up clinics that you as a heroin addict could come in and get your heroin tested uh, without fear of uh, criminal uh, uh, repercussion, um, we'll test it for you and we'll determine whether it will kill you or not. If 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 you were genuinely concerned about uh, reducing or eliminating death due to heroin, that is a program right, you that may would also, definitely. You do could that. also
1: be promoting heroin addiction by doing that. Well, that was one of the things
0: that uh, that was one of the uh, criticisms of the uh, Zurich program before it went into effect. But in fact, you know, you registered as a heroin. To get the heroin, you have to register as an addict. Statistically, people quit their use of heroin after about twelve years on heroin; they just stop. But in the in this country, uh, heroin addicts don't live twelve years. They there, they die of overdose. They die of HIV, hepatitis C.
1: There are federal, obviously federal drug laws. Federal government uh, has a, a big involvement in in this. What would you instruct your Justice Department to do relative to the prosecution of drug crimes?
0: Well, uh, first of all, when it comes to marijuana, uh, I would deschedule marijuana. And that's the only drug I'm advocating. By the way, I I advocated the legalization of marijuana in 99. I am only advocating the legalization of marijuana. When you then go to other drugs, I think when we legalize marijuana, we're going to take a quantum leap as a country— uh, uh, to to the understanding of drugs as a health issue rather than a criminal but justice. But I'm, I'm
1: following up on the thing you said before. If if people can go to clinics and get heroin, then the assumption is that, and as you say, they won't be prosecuted. That the federal government would have to be. Uh, in some way, approving of those arrangements.
0: Yes, well, and I would, I would um, do everything in my power as president to accommodate those kinds okay. of arrangements. I'm not advocating that as a federal program, but uh, just very quickly on marijuana, uh, as president of the United States, I would, de- I, I, I would deschedule marijuana as a class one narcotic. Marijuana is going to be a state's issue, just like alcohol. I mean, there are still dry counties in this country. Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, Let's take a quick uh, break, and we'll be back with Gary Johnson. We're sitting on the south side of Chicago right now, uh, and you made a presentation to these uh, students. Um, and uh, among the, the, the many issues you talked about was not gun violence. But Chicago has a major problem with gun violence, as many urban areas do. But in Chicago, it's been very uh, severe uh, what would you do as president, or is there anything you think you can do uh, to reduce that gun viol- that, that level of gun violence?
0: Well, um, I, back to Chicago and back to the way that I think constitutionally this country was meant to perform and that it would actually perform a lot better if it wouldn't be Washington top-down – if it would be Chicago actually going off and embarking on their experiment on how to make things better and uh, other cities would emulate.
1: But, Governor, you know, here's the, the issue. Half the guns that are used in crimes here come across the border from Indiana where there are very lax gun laws. So there are m- guns bought at gun shows in large numbers and then they're sold on the streets of Chicago. So it's not really – it's not merely up to the city, is it? You, you, you don't live in an island.
0: Well, no, but uh, I would imagine that the example that you're pointing out is not unique to Chicago. I imagine that situation exists in many places in the Although, country. you know, you
1: look at a city like New York where gun violence is actually lower uh, and they're surrounded by states with rather strict uh, gun laws. And, you know, so if, if, you're, if, you're, if we're doing deductive reasoning, but, the, but if, there were a federal, if there were federal laws uh, relative to guns, wouldn't that be helpful?
0: Uh, you know, I, I'm open. Never say never. Uh, I mean, uh, that's what um, that was my pledge. Uh, having been governor, is but you
1: basically taken a position against you. You don't support, for example, back, universal background checks.
0: Well, just that universal. I wouldn't. I the 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 problem is is that um, there are sitting members of Congress that uh, are on the no fly list. Could there be a way that uh, that uh, there be a very expedited process that if you find yourself on one of those lists that you could expunge yourself from that list in a very efficient and meaningful way? If that's a issue of more uh, resources, well, you're you're yeah.
1: asking you're answering a different question though, which is another question, which is should people who are on a no-fly list because of concerns about uh, links to terrorism, should they be able to buy guns? That's that's one question. Mine is a different one, which is, should there be uh, universal background checks and fill in the, these kind of loopholes, the gun show loophole and some of these other loopholes that allow large numbers of guns to be transferred without us ever knowing uh, about those transfers or who they're being transferred to? Like, Isn't that a way to keep People with uh, uh, obvious uh, uh, problems from from buying guns. uh,
0: Yeah, I'd love to sit down with all those with the advocates for um, advocates for that and understand it as well as I possibly could. Maybe I end up being an advocate for that.
1: But you haven't come to any conclusion. No,
0: I no. Uh oh.
1: When you were governor, did you not face any of these issues? Not on the guns, no.
0: Uh, Other than uh, signing legislation allowing for concealed carry.
1: Mm-hmm. Were you did you have, were you rated by the NRA when you ran for governor? I think they gave me their highest rating. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but you but you'd still be open. You say to uh... sure.
0: Well, uh, that, I think that's what you want in you, you. You don't want you don't want to elect somebody that's going to say never say never. And I, and I put out there my example on the death penalty as a as a you know we all evolve as human beings.
1: So you may you you could switch your position on guns.
0: Well, if I switch my position on guns, I'm going to always support the Second Amendment to the Constitution. Um, how do you keep guns out of the hands of the mentally ill? Well, I'm open to that discussion. How do you keep guns out of the hands of would-be terrorists? I'm mm-hmm. open to that discussion.
1: Um you know you you in this discussion with this the students which was rigorous and interesting um you you were asked about uh, surveillance and uh you talked a lot about you gave remarks about national security my experience was uh at 2 years in the white house i sat in the office next to the president every single day he began with an intelligence briefing yes and all over the world uh you know there were significant issues. But there, on the issue of terrorism, there were active plots, uh, not imaginary plots, but active plots. Uh, and uh, you you were very careful in your remarks to to note that the job of the president is to protect the American people. So how do you do that? If you know that there are there's a, there's a there are cells of 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 people who are terrorists who are plotting attacks like the ones that we've sustained what would you do to intervene to stop them well so you are the first person and
0: uh with the proximity to the white house you are the first person with that kind of prox- you 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 just now closest proximity to telling me that this is actually what was transpiring between the NSA and the president of the united states I wish I were getting national security briefings right now because all I can do is just guess uh as to as to what those briefings entail. Um and but, I,
1: but surely you know that there there are, that terrorism has been a
0: Well, certainly terrorism front burner, yes, but what are the specifics I would love to know um and can you share the specifics?
1: Well, I think that there are things that are are, are publicly known that that uh we we've had um uh, terrorist uh, leaders that uh, al Alaki and others overseas who were who connected to terrorist acts here and in, in, in real, in direct and indirect uh, ways, uh, that was what occasioned uh, the attack that took him out. Would you, you've been very critical. In fact, the other day you linked uh, uh, American drone strikes, uh, such as the one that killed him, uh, to uh, the attacks of the Syrian government on their own citizens. So it's, it's, it suggests to me that you would not engage in drone strikes against suspected terrorists.
0: I don't want to rule that out either, but I w- just have this incredible regard for uh, innocence that would be— that. Uh, would be involved in that. And from everything I read, uh, you know, that's the same page as Obama, too. I, I don't want to say that Obama isn't concerned with that same So thing.
1: you'd continue his policy, which is basically, you're right, he's very assiduous about trying to uh, assure that uh, innocent lives are not cost, but he's been very aggressive about going after terrorist uh, uh, leadership, terrorist cells who are involved in active plots against the country. You, you would continue that policy.
0: Well, uh, I'm, back to, I'm back to the damage. I'm back to what I believe are thousands of innocent people that have been killed as a result of our drone strikes. And I don't think that that has served us well. So uh, I probably would be a lot more judicious than Obama.
1: So in the absence of that, what would you do to uh, try and uh, uh, deal with what is this active threat?
0: Well, that uh, and I outlined it today. Uh, that it that it be regionally contained, and believe me, I understand that that is the strategy of the administration to bleed them of their money. That is uh, um, also. Um, I mean, this is this is ongoing. This is this is going to be with us. This is not going to be victory. This is, right. This is
1: part of the world order. I, I I agree with you that terrorism is a reality that we're going to have to deal with for. Uh, a long time when you say bleed them of their money isn't that what the what the strategy in Iraq and and yes. and Syria yes. is about right now to shrink this yes. caliphate yes. take away their access yep. to oil money yep. and so on yep. so is that the right strategy
0: yes it is and obviously it's a multifaceted strategy and then Back to being regionally contained. And then you get into the issue. And I'm not, you know, you you know more about this than I do, having been close to the president for as long as you were the presidency, Um, you know, these uh, inspired attacks. Well, what's that all about? And What's to prevent uh, what happened in France the other day with the truck being used as a weapon? That's, that's a situation that exists in 10,000 different locations in this country every day.
1: Right. No, I, there's no doubt it's a challenging uh, problem. What I think has been successful is uh, with, the, uh, for example, the actions against al-Qaeda. We haven't seen these kind of large-scale operations in the U.S., such as 9-11, uh, that we uh, that we saw before, and but, and
0: you you would also have to admit that, and nobody wants to see it, but um, it's really I think it's a surprise that we haven't seen that. I mean, everybody's expecting, everybody everybody understands that the the worst is uh, by worst that this is going to
1: happen again. This is going to happen. It again. is um, it, it whether. It, I don't know if I use the word surprise, but it's a blessing that it hasn't happened and it, it hasn't happened in part because of aggressive steps that have been taken to try and interdict uh these things so just finishing up on this would you support the efforts that are ongoing we we there's a lot of uh activity in that region we we had 180,000 troops i think in over uh, in that region between Afghanistan and Iraq when this president took office it's it's under 20,000 now uh uh, would you support um, what's going on now to try and shrink that caliphate? Well, I, I would, and, g- and, and and basically dismantle that as a hub.
0: Uh, yeah I, I i i don't want to do I don't want to do anything that uh, takes a, a step backwards in any of this. And and I'm just um. um Back to the national security briefings, and that you're going to elect a president that is going to be well thought. I don't, and I not for a second do I want to say that Obama has not been well thought. But uh, if he has been, if you're saying that he has been, um, I'm making the pitch that
1: I'm going to be a continuation of that. When you, um, you know, part of the, this uh, process is. Um, Undoubtedly irritating to uh, candidates. One of them is the sort of gotcha nature of journalism, but uh, when the Aleppo thing happened, when you uh, had, when you couldn't name a, a foreign leader What happened? Wait, foreign a foreign leader, leader who, you, who, admired. You, respect, who and, you admired, And here it is a week later, and I still can't do it. Is that right? There's nobody in the world that you admire. Well, you
0: you start naming names, and then all of a sudden you're whoa, afraid gee, of hurting someone's feelings. Well, no, no, no. <laughs> that uh, well, you know that here's what's on their resume. Here's what's on their resume. So, so I, I said this. Uh, I said this today. Um, having never been involved in politics before, I put a lot of people on pedestals in this country that I thought were should be on pedestals and here it is i come to find them i, I come to get to know them firsthand and there there's no concern that i can see for public policy there's no concern for doing what's right it's all about polls it's all about getting reelected. it's it,
1: empty suits that describes everybody you've met in politics not everybody
0: no i've met some really wonderful people um but the question is foreign leader, and uh, in that context, um, you know, I... But you fought, can see I, why
1: would it would be uh, concerning to people, because the vast uh, uh, responsibility that re- is reposed in the president if someone comes to office without a real familiarity with any of that.
0: Well, that's, that's an... Un- the, the foreign leader thing, that's, that's an unfair rub. Uh, Aleppo, that's fair. Mm-hmm. That's fair.
1: One thing that struck me was you said, "Well, I'm having an Aleppo moment," and a lot of people said to me, "Gee, he shouldn't really be joking." No, I shouldn't that. have.
0: I shouldn't have. I, you know, that's a the humor is is uh, <laughs> is 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 leaving in a really big way. Also, uh-huh. It really is. Um, I subject myself to probably six hours a day of of uh, no filters on the interviews that I do, and I've been doing this now for probably about five or six months uh and um, i recognize that it's different for hillary and it's different for trump well, the, the questions are prepared they know what's going on they talk to friendlies uh, and for me everybody's a friendly i mean it's it's open game i'm running for president of the united states look 90% of people don't know what Aleppo is but 90% of people
1: aren't running for president of the united states Precisely, i am and there's no yeah. excuse um you said today to these kids uh, that uh, you would honor all of America's agreements and and treaties because it came up in the context yeah. of, uh, of NATO. Um, what, what about the Paris Agreement on climate change, which uh, commits the country to very significant uh, uh, cuts in carbon emissions over a period of time? Well, if we're the ones—
0: I, I, um without knowing without looking at it without having the staff to actually you know assign somebody to tell me what's in that document um how is china uh, let me just be a skeptic here how is china ever going to uh, uh conform to that maybe maybe they will but if we're going to take the lead in, in the Paris Accords and uh, it will result in a loss of jobs because we're going to take our carbon to a, much, a level much lower than China is. I, I mean, I, I just question, is China going to be on par with us for the same amount of car- – uh, they're going to have to reduce their carbon emissions uh, by percentages as opposed to loads? Yeah, well, because- I mean, they, they,
1: they, they've, they've signed on to uh, – uh, the same agreement. So they're going to have to develop the same uh, plan that would reduce proportionally their uh, their emissions as well. And of course, we're the two largest uh, emitters, the U.S. and China, in the world. I don't see how you solve the problem well, uh, without...
0: Isn't India... They're uh, in there. And there. I- India and China, aren't those, those are the two biggest emitters? Well, I emitters? think
1: we, we, are, uh, we are among
0: we're, them. We're, we're, 16, yeah, we're 16% of the... Of the carbon emissions,
1: uh, so uh,
0: I, ju- I just uh, I-, I would just look at it simply from the standpoint of fairness.
1: But if we have this agreement, uh, and you said you stick to this agreement. So you're saying it, you, 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 if the if the Chinese stick to their agreement, that you would stick to yours.
0: Well, I was speaking specifically about um, foreign policy. I was speaking specifically to NATO and No, no, but mili- I'm asking the military. about the Paris Agreement. No, no, and, and this is a different – right. so that was not what I was answering. Uh, I, I don't know if I would honor uh, the Paris Accords from the standpoint, uh, if we're out in front on this uh, – car- carbon doesn't have any boundaries. If we're out on front uh, – out in front on this, and it results in fewer u s jobs no i'm going i 'm not going uh, to put us in a position of losing u s jobs to comply ahead of everyone else
1: you uh when you were a uh, uh, when you were a kid in college, you said you were exposed to uh, libertarian uh material and and that 's when you realized that you were a libertarian. What about it appealed to you
0: well just uh Smaller government, um, individual choice, always coming down on the side of uh, individual choice. That we, they, they talked about uh, in this little pamphlet. They did talk about drugs and marijuana and uh, uh, fr- uh, freedom, uh, t- taxation. Uh, that uh, ideally, uh, you know, user fees could be applied to uh, everything it is that you do. Well, I get, I get the theory. But it makes a lot of sense mm-hmm. it, the reality um, uh, I, I mean I have always said that the the best example that I can think of of a of a libertarian tax is the gas tax of course that that's been hijacked also various states and the federal government not that not all the money collected from the gas tax actually goes to infrastructure but if it did and most of it does that, that's a that's a great tax because. And of course, now you've got electric cars and this is going to pose a whole n- another issue. And But you've got uh, GPS units now that are going to be built into the cars and you'll pay the tax based on miles driven. I mean, I, I get the future. I, I see the future.
1: Speaking of paying the tax, we're going to take another short break for a word from our sponsors and we'll be right back with uh, Gary Johnson. Governor, You um you've proposed the abolition of the income tax and corporate taxes and its replacement with a consumption tax. One of the concerns that uh, young people feel and many Americans feel is this growing gulf in our uh, society, this ine- economic inequality. Uh, the objection to consumption taxes have been that they're fundamentally regressive and that uh, people at, uh, at the lower incomes will bear a, a greater burden Uh, of those. How do you uh, navigate around uh, that element of a consumption tax in a way that gives people some reassurance who are concerned about inequality that you're just not going to make it worse?
0: Well, uh, so you're correct with your um, criticism that it is regressive. So the way the fair tax deals with that is it issues everyone in the country a prebate check of $200 a month. So you and I are each going to get $2,400 a year that covers our use of that consumption tax up to the point of the poverty level. So there are essentials that all of us have to buy. That's the way that the fair tax deals with the fact that it is regressive up to a certain point. Used goods, it doesn't. There there is not a tax that applies to used goods. So um, in that regard, it's also kind of green.
1: We— uh Uh, we've gone through a period in which enormous amounts – as the economy has grown, it's grown uh, in an asymmetric way. And uh, a lot of the gains, the vast majority of the gains have been among upper-income people. Is there an argument for progressivity, the notion that people who are doing fantastically well can afford to pay a little bit more?
0: Well, uh, I'm I'm in the camp that that that's a hard one to parse. Um, I'm in the camp that you can though parse, not giving them advantage, and that there is advantage that exists. That government's for sale. Government picks winners and losers. I cited the epipen as an example. I think that uh, at the root of one supplier is the government.
1: And by the way, uh, that just harkens back to this campaign finance issue. The pharmaceutical. Uh companies are enormous uh, donors and lobbyists in Washington, and you you say that um, you would support uh, allowing importation of pharmaceuticals from Canada, uh, presumably other places where the pharmaceuticals are. Which
0: would last about two days, that importation would last about two days before U.S. manufacturers would fall in
1: line. Why do you think that that hasn't happened
0: I imagine it's a political contribution and uh, um, that its roots are crony
1: capitalism. So if we have these unlimited contributions that you advocate, doesn't that just empower interest groups like the pharmaceutical companies to, uh, to leverage that kind of influence, to stop common sense reforms like the ones you're talking well, about? And how would a, a President Johnson overcome that?
0: Well, that it would be transparent uh, and that— um,
1: Doesn't everybody know the pharmaceutical companies uh, are very I, I active think so. I mean, donors uh, and uh, lobbyists?
0: What, reading the other day that they're one of the number one contributors to the AARP? That's why the AARP hasn't taken this on. That's why these retirement groups don't take this issue on is because their biggest contributors are the pharmaceutical companies.
1: Yeah, you and I agree uh, on the problem. I guess we just disagree on the solution because I just don't know how giving them unbridled ability to spend their money on campaign contributions uh, is going to advance the cause of uh, uh, reforming the system. I guess you're just going to have to elect Johnson. That's the answer. That's the answer. That's the answer. Because he's <laughs>
0: just above reproach.
1: <laughs> let's talk about. Uh, let's just talk about care for a second. Uh, and uh, I was interested in your uh, talk about that. You say you'd repeal the Affordable Care Act, and that you'd bring in a oh, market, I well, a no, market-based I, system. I, I, I don't think
0: that's reality-based. I don't. I don't think that's going to get repealed. I mean, that's why not. Well, it's, just, it's just not the political will to make that happen. But I can certainly see legislation to to fix it, to make it more competitive. And uh, you know, from a certainty standpoint, look, I'm going to sign on to anything that will make the healthcare industry more competitive, lower prices, uh, better healthcare. Here's one, of the, pro- here's one healthcare. of the problems
1: with healthcare. It's not like other commodities. Uh, one of the one of the problems that the Affordable Care Act was aimed at solving was the fact that, for example. Insurance companies would not insure people with pre-existing conditions. They wouldn't do it for good business reasons, which was that it's more expensive to care for people who have potentially serious illnesses. So, uh, how do you in in your in your vis- in, uh, vision of a healthcare system? How do you compel insurance companies to do what is uh, in not in their best interest.
0: Well, uh, I, back to back to what I stated today. I think that would come under the catastrophic injury and illness. And yeah, I do recognize that um, pre-existing condition. Uh, I mean, if that ends up to be an entirely subsidized government program, um, you know, let, maybe we just need to get it out in the open. It is an issue that exists. Um, and I think that we can do do you think every it.
1: American should have health coverage? I mean should that be uh, the right of every American?
0: well uh, before the Affordable Health Care Act came into existence, no one in this country was going without health insurance uh, it was getting it was getting paid for a leading source of bankruptcy because you know you're saddled with a debt that you can't pay uh, but an, an well,
1: uh, well, hospitals were also absorbing a lot of it yes, because yes, people yes, would go uh, to emergency rooms who didn't have insurance and hospitals would be forced to cover them. One of the big supporters of the Affordable Care Act are, are health care providers like hospitals who don't now have to bear the burden that they did before.
0: Well, so when I was governor of New Mexico, a little bit of a cul-de-sac here, David, but yes. when I was governor of New Mexico, I had a health insurance policy as governor of New Mexico. What if we give everybody in the state that's on Medicaid? What if we give them my health insurance policy? Would we actually save twenty-five percent? Yep, that's what we did. Simple as that sounds.
1: You uh, said in this discussion with the kids that what you would, what you envisioned was that there would be specialists that grow. So, uh, and one of them you said was gallbladders. Blog, gallbladders.com or... Gall, gallbladders are us. Gallbladders are yeah, us. Yeah. So it got me to thinking, if you were having a gallbladder attack, what is the log, What is the likelihood that you're going to be uh, going online and and and, and researching? Zero.
0: Zero. You're going to go to the emergency room, and that's what you do today regardless, and that's going to be unchanged. Right. But so you am just trying to understand a, your you made You may go to emergency room uh, are, are, are us where... You know the you you you've recognized ahead of time that there is an emergency room in town that has the best results for the whole range of everything that deals with emergency rooms.
1: are there any do you think there are any uh, any is there any dimension, any part of our society that uh, the where the market just won't work?
0: I can't think of one. Can you so think of everything? One?
1: Yeah, healthcare is one of them. I don't think healthcare, the healthcare, the private healthcare system, works particularly well without any uh, intervention, which is why we had 50 million uninsured people before uh, the Affordable Care Act, and that number was getting larger uh, every year. So, because the the impetus for insurance companies wasn't there, now a bargain was struck, which is they'll get a larger market oh, see, uh, in I- exchange for covering. Everyone, including people with pre-existing conditions.
0: See, and I would argue that Medicaid and Medicare drive the entire uh, health care market, that pricing is was based on Medicaid and Medicare reimbursements down the line, and that that, uh, that health care is anything but. It's it's an absolute – it's a, so you it's a would, government program would as you, it is. Would
1: you dismantle the government-run health care programs?
0: Well, look – in, in a
1: perfect world, is that what you would like to do?
0: In a perfect world, I would like to adopt uh, genuine um, market reforms that would result in better health care and lower prices, which so, I think is competition. Ultimately, mm-hmm.
1: that's competition. So no government programs, but private concerns competing.
0: Private concerns competing, allowing for better goods, better services,
1: lower prices. Um, when you, 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 you came to this libertarian awareness when you were— uh, a young man. What caused you to run as a Republican for uh, governor?
0: I went uh, first. I was deci- at first, which party am I going to run for? Democrats, uh, Republicans, and I actually went to the Libertarian uh, uh, Libertarian meeting, monthly meeting in Albuquerque. it took me about two minutes to realize that there's no way that I was going to get elected doing this. I was a registered Republican at the time. And the reason I was a registered Republican is my belief in smaller government, that government does take too much of my money. I, I can better spend my money than the government. And so ran as a Republican. And And when
1: you were governor, did you support, uh, for example, did you, I know you, I guess you endorsed George W. Bush in 2000. I was the
0: only governor, only sitting governor in the United States to not endorse him in the primary. Um, I did in the general election, but I was the only governor that didn't do it in the primary.
1: And uh, did you support him in 2004 as well? I
0: did, but I was out of office, and I was never called. I mean, I voted for him. So when you say support, um, was there ever any? Look, I was kind of the pariah. I was the guy that wanted to legalize pot. Um, you know, there was a there was a stiff arm. I, I was not a sought after recommendation for anybody in the Republican Party running for office. What
1: well, the reason I ask you is because he, you know, obviously there was an intervening event, which was the. Uh, Decision to invade Iraq. Did you support it back then?
0: No, no. I said at that, and I've always been a fan of the Cato Institute. So I was out of office when all this was when all, you know when the I just left office, and there was all this buildup. And uh, what Cato had to say regarding it was was and I said the exact same thing. So I was asked about it, and I just gave them the verbatim. Cato response, which was, no, let's not invade Iraq. Uh, We have the military surveillance capability to see them roll out any weapons of mass destruction. We can deal with it. If they do that, if we go into Iraq, we're going to find ourselves in a civil war in which there will be no end. That was the lines I delivered right after I left office on what do you think about Iraq.
1: And um, you've been pretty tough on Hillary Clinton about her vote in favor of of that. Uh, and yet you voted for George W. Bush in 2004, who actually acted on the authority that he was given by the Senate. So you didn't feel it was... Uh, disqualifying for George W. Bush, but you feel like it's disqualifying for Hillary Clinton.
0: Well, in this case, I am running, so there is a there is an old in this in the case of Bush. You know, he's running against Kerry, and uh, well, who do you vote for between those two? I voted for Bush. Um, right now, I think that I'm you're going to vote for Johnson, huh? Yeah, I am. <laughs> I, am. I am
1: the um, uh, the election of two thousand. Uh, was pretty fateful at the end of the day because um, whatever you thought of Al Gore, unlikely that he would have gone to Iraq. I mean, I think that's he's made that clear, and I think it's fairly clear that he would not have. He obviously was a huge—and you may have a different view on this. It seems like you do from the huge supporter of uh, uh, doing something about climate change uh, aggressively— uh, and he opposed the major tax cuts of the Bush administration, which I bet you thought were, you supported based on mm-hmm, your, own, mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. your own experience. But he lost by 537 votes in the state of Florida, largely because 90,000 people voted for Ralph Nader. It was a very small percentage, but it tipped the entire election. Do you have any concern no, about tipping the none. election one way or the other? No, no. So you think there's a, that they're basically equivalent, Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump?
0: Well, look, I'm leading among independents. Uh, I'll bet on election day. I'm leading among um, millennials. Or if I'm not, you know, Hillary's got a billion bucks. We got ten million bucks. I mean, it's amazing. Really, it's amazing. Um,
1: No, but I'm not. I I, I I understand all that. But you don't. You don't believe you're going to win the election. I mean, realistically speaking.
0: Realistically speaking, you know, anything can happen. Uh, Highly unlikely.
1: You wouldn't bet the uh, Johnson. The last Johnson family dollar on this
0: i'm <laughs> I am right now no i i I'm, I'm giving people a first vote uh, I'm not a protest vote I'm the first vote independence young people
1: but but, but, it, but, but it's highly highly likely looking at the polling that someone else is going to win. I guess my question to you is uh, do you see uh Bush. Your your running mate said he's going to address himself only to Trump because he's concerned about Trump. Bill Weld, former governor of Massachusetts. Uh, But you you don't feel that way. You You know, I've never been a rock thrower also.
0: I don't know if you know this. I I, I did not mention, when I ran for governor of New Mexico, two cycles. I did not mention my opponent in print, radio, or television in two cycles. Didn't mention them. And I debated my opponent the second time me controlling the debate process the second time, I debated Marty Chavez 28 times. I mean, hey, take me, leave me. I have a different view about politics. Um, look, I'm in this to change things. I think I can walk away from this potentially changing the two party system. Um, that, that. that that possibility exists.
1: Well, Governor Johnson, I really appreciate you spending appreciate time with you. us today, great, 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 and I appreciate great, great you spending time with those yeah. young people. Uh, uh, it's, it's a it's a really great experience for them to have a chance to interact with you. Thank well, you,
0: and uh, yeah. good getting to know you. Thank you.
1: Yeah.
0: Thank you for listening to the Axe Files, part of the CNN Podcast Network. For more episodes of the Axe Files, visit cnn.com/podcast and subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, or your favorite app. And for more programming from the University of Chicago Institute of Politics, visit politics.uchicago.edu.